Hey everyone, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Our goal at Renaissance is to expose the heart of our city to the truth and love of Jesus. And if you want to be a part of that, then follow us on social media by searching Renaissance Decatur, or you can connect with us at renaissancedecatur.org. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get started. So great to see all of you. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. So uh, thanks for coming. Hang out with us. I'm going to spend some time talking about a passage in the Bible um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you have a Bible with you, you can sort of get ready for me to get there. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 23 through something, and then we'll do the first verse in chapter 11. So you can get there. While you're getting there, I want to share a story with you. Um, Something I was just reminded of this week as I was getting ready for this message. So I've been a Christian uh, 23 years. Um, it's a long time, I think. I got saved when I was uh, one years old. That's a joke. Anyways, anyways, <laughs> Christian 23 years. And I, I only remember that because my wife and I married and I got uh, saved, if you will, became a Christian the exact same year. So I just remember how many years that's been. But I remember as a young Christian... Maybe this will resonate with some of you. As a young Christian, I was trying to navigate what life would look like as a, as a Christian. I, I lived 26 years of my life kind of as a non-Christian, which basically meant I could do kind of what I wanted to do as long as my wife allowed it, all that kind of stuff, right? And then the rest of my life as a Christian, I'm learning to follow God instead of my own ways. And so I'm trying to navigate all of this space. And I remember a friend of mine coming to me and said, Jeff, in, in sometimes the big decisions of life, the, the big issues you're trying to navigate through, God's here to help you, man. And I went, yeah, I believe that. And how exactly is that going to happen? He says, God has given you an instruction manual called the Bible. Now, have other people heard that this Bible is called an instruction manual for your life? Yeah, I've heard that before too, right? When I heard that, it was the first time I'd heard it. But I got to be honest with you, as much as I agree with that sentiment a little bit, um, it wasn't much help for me. I don't want anyone to raise their hand, but how many of you making decisions in life have looked to the Bible for some guidance and not found it when you went looking for it, <laughs> right? And you ended up Googling it instead. Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, okay, I'm just saying it, right? <laughs> um, here's what I found. I think the Bible is an instruction manual for us, but it's not necessarily an instruction manual like uh, um, you'd get if you bought a piece of furniture from Ikea. Anybody put together one of those satanic things that they sell at the Ikea store? I mean, I just pray to Jesus when I cut the tape on that thing. Like, this is, this is diabolical business is what this is. It's craziness is what's happening right now. But basically, you follow step one before you get to step two, step three, and on and down you go. And you hope to get something sturdy, something utilitarian that you can use. That's why you bought it, right? And maybe something that looks good in your house. So when I looked at the Bible for instructions on life, I was looking for step one, step two, step three, and I didn't really see them as such. In fact, when I started reading the Old Testament, here's what I learned right out of the bat. There are some people that don't want to follow God very much. I mean, that's, I mean, even though that's the Old Testament, it sounds like my life. When Adam and Eve like, were given one command to obey in the garden, they chose not to obey it. That, <laughs> there, it could have been Jeff and Eve in the garden. I mean, it sounds like... 
my life. Like whenever God says, do this or don't do this, I'm the idiot that does the opposite of that thing. I'm like, how strange is this? And then I keep reading the Old Testament and then God says, okay, I know you're broken, sinful people. You're rebellious, but I love you anyways. Here's, here's the dealio. I will give you some rules to follow. And, and if you follow all of these rules, then you and I can have a good relationship together. And we call these the Ten Commandments and the, all the stuff in the Old Testament. And that sounds great, except when I read the Old Testament, the people of Israel did a terrible job of following all of those rules too. And I mean, I'm telling you, if, if, this, if the Bible is an instruction manual, here's step one for us. You're a sinner. You, you rebel against God all the time. In fact, there's a thing called hamartiology. Huh? Nerd out here for a minute. That's the doctrine of sin, hamartiology. And I want you to picture a bullseye on a dartboard. And in the very center of it is God's will for you. And you and I are oftentimes throwing darts like this at it. And we're missing it all the time. It means missing the mark. That's what God wants for us. And my life, your life, all of our lives is a constant barrage of throwing darts anywhere we want and missing God's purpose all the time. God's perfect plan for us. So I'm rebellious. I'm sinful. God wants me to follow rules. I can't even do that. But there's hope. So I keep reading the Bible and I get into the New Testament. Yay, Jesus arrives. And we see that Jesus, the Son of God, has come to to reconcile God's people to himself. And, and this works through a miraculous thing called the cross and resurrection. I won't bore you with the details, but just know this, that Jesus Christ comes to die on a cross to absorb punishment for your sin and for my sin. Even though Jesus had never sinned, he's willing to be punished for sin he dies on the cross, is buried in a grave. God raises him from the dead. Say, hallelujah, yes, amen, woo right? Happy Easter, all that. And we now, by grace, which means freely, through faith, just by having faith to believe, if we believe in that and believe in Jesus, then we too can have the hope of resurrection into eternal life with God forever and ever and ever and ever. I mean, if this is an instruction manual, it's just telling me this, that I can't do it on my own. God is gonna have to help me. In fact, if, if I could give you another helpful hint about the Bible, I gotta be honest with you, the Bible's not much about you anyways. The Bible's a story of God's love for his people and his willingness to send his son Jesus to restore all of his created order. Since the Garden of Eden fractured with the first sin, God has been on a, I almost said desperate. It's not a desperate march, but he's been on a march to restore that which is broken. And he's doing so through his son, Jesus. We call this the kingdom of God. God is restoring the kingdom of God on the earth through his people. The Bible's not much about us. If, if many of you have been in a Christian faith for a while, you might remember a book by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. So if anyone remembers the first sentence of that book, it says this, it, it, your life is not about you. <laughs> if you're looking for purpose in your life, it's not about you. It's about something altogether different. The prophet Isaiah picked up on this. When he, when, when he was understanding his purpose in life, it was, it was for God. Now, all of that is to set this up. You and I are living a life in a culture around people who are, some are Christians, some aren't, some are nominal, some are whatever, some are other religions. And we are called to be Christians in the middle of all of this culture. It's crazy, it's wild, it's ever-changing, yes? 
You don't know if you're coming or going, and you and I are trying to make decisions in our life. And we need help. The unfortunate reality, a lot of the decisions that we're making in our life, they are not black or white, right or wrong. They are this gross gray thing in the middle that we've got to work through. I'm a rule guy. Just tell me what to do, bro. I'll do that. But that's not life for us. We don't know what to do sometimes. And if we just look to the Bible for what we should and shouldn't do, we'll never leave the house, guys. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, the Bible has some directives in our life that I think we would do well to listen to. If you're out there wondering right now, this might be for you, I don't know who you are, but if you're out there wondering right now if you should steal from your employer, the answer is no. <laughs> the Bible talks about that, don't steal, dummy. I mean, yes, those things. Okay, should I cheat on my spouse? Anyone? No. no. Who said yes? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you thought you would hide it in the mix. there. <laughs> Uh, I have a story there. I won't even go there. But. but there are questions that we have in life that the Bible does directly answer. But I'm telling you, man, they're, they're, they're small in number because our life is so varied and so different that we need something else to determine what is not necessarily right or wrong, but what's better or best. See, what God has for us oftentimes is just a a treasure trove, if you will, a, a plethora of options for us to choose from. Should I do this? Sure. Should I do this? Of course. Can I do this? Yes. Can I do this? Yes. Just pick one. But if you're like me, you want God to tell you which one to pick. But sometimes it's not that way. We have to just determine. So here's what I, I love. I want to share this with you. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, okay, Paul, the apostle, he gives us a tool a metric, if you will, a measuring rod that we can lay up against our life to determine if the decisions we're making are the right ones or the better ones. Because sometimes they're not right or wrong. It's good or better. So look what he says here in chapter 10, verse 31. Everything that you do, do it all to the glory of God. So in everything that you're doing, so in all the decisions that we're making in our life, we have to put the metric of the the glory of God on top of it. And if the decisions we're making are not giving God the ultimate glory, the most glory, then I would recommend and strongly encourage you, stop making said decisions. Stop going that way in your life because those things aren't bringing glory to God. Sometimes the question isn't whether or not we could do something, because I think in Jesus, we have lots of freedom and liberty. Would you agree with me? In fact, we're going to talk about that today. We have all kinds of freedom to do a lot of things in our life. It's not whether or not we could do something, but rather should we do something. So the first question we might be asking is, how does this give glory to him? We need to consider him first, God first. And then secondarily, if we keep reading here in verse 33, Paul says, just as I try to please everyone and everything, I do not seek my own advantage, but I seek the advantage of others first. Two things pop out, and this reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 22. When Jesus is asked by some religious leaders, hey, rabbi, of all of the commandments and rules in the Old Testament, which one's the most important? And he says, the greatest commandment is this, what? To love God with everything your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, to love him first. And the second commandment is just like it, to love others or your neighbors as yourself. So if you're like me, 
this bothers me. Because <laughs> I want it to be about me. Know this, there is not one more person more prideful than me some days. There's not one more person who thinks I'm more entitled than anyone else some days. And I read things like this, especially in the American church, where it's oftentimes built around us and for us. We take that idea and, and think the gospel is talking about us and for us. When Paul says that everything you do in your life, everything you do in your life should give God glory and should be considerate of other people. I have to be frank. I'm a pastor of a church. I don't like people very much. Some days, it's difficult. Now, this is coming on the heels of something that Paul has been discussing, discussing to the church in Corinth for some time. In fact, the end of chapter 10 is finishing a great big statement that Paul has been making these past many weeks. It started in chapter 8, and we're going to finish it here in chapter 10. So before we get there, and I want to go through a couple lines in, this, in the scriptures, a couple verses, just to sort of... Um, look into them to see what God would say to us. I want to pray for us. I want to pray again. I want to say this. I've already prayed for you today. I want you to know that. I don't take it lightly. My alarm goes off, goes off at 4 a.m. on Sunday mornings. My mom thinks I'm insane. My mom. My wife thinks I'm insane. <laughs> I know. That's called a Freudian slip right there. My wife thinks I'm insane, but I get up early and I, I have this routine. I come into my office, I make coffee, and I, I look at the verses that I'm going to, I mean, I've already prepared. I'm just sitting in my office. I'm praying. I'm asking, God, what do you want to do? And then I invite a few friends to join me at like 7.30, 7.45. A group of people show up and we pray together for you guys. So I want to pray for us, but I, I want you to know I'm praying again. And, and here's what I think God wants to say. Let's, let's bow our heads. God, we come before you to be instructed in your ways. We want you to educate, inform, animate our lives so that everything we do would give you glory and would consider the welfare and the salvation of others, Lord God. We confess, we oftentimes make our life, and yes, even our Christian life, about us. And for that, we're repentant. We're sorry, God. We don't want to do that. We want to live the life that you have for us. God, we ask that you come with the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would give us understanding, you'd give us encouragement. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Paul has been answering some questions that the church in Corinth had asked him previously. They're saying things like, well, since, since we're no longer bound by the rules of the Old Testament, right? Praise Jesus for that. Don't we have freedom to do kind of whatever we want? And I think the answer is yes and no. I mean, I think it's, it depends. We have a lot of liberty. And that's what they've been arguing to Paul. They're like, Paul, everything is lawful to us now, right? And he's like, yeah, kind of. Look here in verse 23. He says, all things are lawful, quotes, he's putting that quotes, because that's their question to him. Aren't all things lawful? He says, yeah, but not everything is helpful. It might be free to do those things, but not everything's going to be helpful to you. And, and he goes, aren't all things lawful, quotes again. He says, yeah, but not everything is going to be 
beneficial to you or to, will build you up. Now, when I first read that, I, I used to think that was about me. Again, uh, that's who I am. I don't think that's what this is about. Paul, if you read the next verse, he says this, let no one seek his own good first. He should seek the good of his neighbor. So that first verse, all things are helpful or lawful, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are beneficial or build up or edifying. That's for other people. He's first, I mean, right out of the gate, he's saying, listen, all the things in our lives should be directed towards others first. And we just don't do that very well. This is a picture of how God wants to build a community around us. The unfortunate reality is we are immature in that some days. Who wants to admit that? Okay, I see that hand. Okay, a little higher. I agree with you. Yes. No, that's us. That's what we do. We don't consider others first. I'm very selfish. Even yesterday, my wife, as I was sitting down on the couch enjoying my Saturday, um, reminded me that we had errands to run. Just. And I, I, I played it out of my mind. I'm like, can't you do them? And I'll be here waiting for you. And like, I'll be thinking about you while you're gone and, you know, or whatever. And, and I, I heard when she asked me to go, I heard like she, it doesn't matter. It just, I just stood up real quick, put on my shoes and said, okay, let's go. If we're going to do this, let's go. I want to be with you. Let's, let's go. But I'm so quick to think of myself and my plans and what I had intended for the day instead of someone else and whatever. So I'm just learning that um, a lot of my life, I have to learn to surrender more. I have to learn to consider other people more. I don't, I don't do that real good. I don't mean to make this about me. I'm sorry, but I, I don't know. Maybe that's because some of you feel the same way. Sometimes you dig in your heels, but that's not what I planned today. It's not what I intended today. It's not what I wanted to do today. And I'm just, I'm just saying this. I think that just points to an immaturity in us. As parents, many of us know that the best thing you can do to set your kids up for kindergarten is to send them to preschool first. And why is that? Because the, the kindergarten teacher will strangle you on the first parent-teacher visit because your, your kid is the absolute like, worst in class. Because in preschool, they learn that, that thing. Uh, we we got to share today, Jimmy. Don't forget, we're sharing today. We're sharing today. And you teach children to care and to share for other people. That's like, like elementary. That's before kindergarten stuff, right? And so when, I, when you and I walk around not caring for, not willing to share right, our lives for other people... I, I don't know if God doesn't see us as toddlers. Rebellious little sinful engines running around demanding our own way. <laughs> and that's just immaturity. See, for us to grow and to be mature believers requires us to set aside preferences. Here's, if I could tell you, this is my my opinion on what a healthy church looks like, that if people would come to church, even though they have great needs, and I think every Sunday people come to this church with great needs. They need uh, they have prayer needs, they have financial needs, they have whatever, I mean, you name it. People are coming into the church very needy, okay? 
But the problem is, is when people come in just looking to have their needs met, they become so self-focused, they have no desire to meet the needs of other people. And when that happens, hear me, no needs are met. Look, if I, if I can walk in and go, man, I hope someone prays for me today. I just hope someone comes up and blesses me, wants to take me out to lunch today. <laughs> Hypothetically, Right? Okay, if that's okay for this guy, then the next guy should come in and go, man, I hope someone like blesses me today. I hope someone prays for me today. I hope someone is. And then the next guy comes in. If that's okay for them too, then another. And next thing you know, we've got 600 people all coming in hoping that someone meets their needs today. Now you can see how no needs get met in that. But if we walk in with this idea, man, I have a lot of brokenness in my life. I could use some freaking help today. Like I could use some help today. But if I walked in going, yet Lord, I've come to bless others or be a blessing to others. And if you might, if you might use me, God, to encourage, to pray for, or to buy someone else's lunch today, God, I'm, I'm your vessel. I'll do whatever you say. Now, if we, walk, <laughs> if we walked into church that way, then all the needs are met. Many years ago, I remember someone asking, Jeff, what do you think the... Um, what do you think Renaissance is going to be known for in the city? Uh, so let's put it this way. If, if your church just dried up and blew away, would the city miss you? And I went, oh, that's harsh because I don't know. And so you begin to think as a, as a pastor, like, what are we known for? Can we go out and put like uh, um, footprints into the community and, and touch people and help people and this and that? And, and I've been wrestling with that question for years. Here's what I know. We'll never be good at anything outside the church if we don't first mature inside the church. If we don't understand that God is desperate for us to glorify him and to serve the needs of others first, why on earth would he give us a mission outside of this place? I'm not hesitant to do missions missions. I'm not hesitant to do outreach. I'm not hesitant to do meals. I'm not hesitant, except that I don't think we need more stuff to do if we haven't first grown up inside. Now that's just for me. I'm wrestling through all of that as we move forward. But I'm telling you, this is a key to Christian maturity. We have liberties and freedoms through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And maturity comes into play when we begin to balance those freedoms with responsibility to other people. That's what Paul is saying. Not everything's helpful to someone else. Not everything's beneficial to them. Look to the benefit of your neighbor. And then he gives two little hypothetical examples. And if you haven't been here the last few weeks, this is going to be kind of strange. He's going to talk about meat. What? <laughs> He's talking about meat. There's like this... If, there's temples in Corinth that they sacrifice animals to, and the argument is, well, can we eat the meat that's been sacrificed to Poseidon or all of those other people? And there's big questions. So he's going to give some hypothetical questions to the, to the church in Corinth on how to respond to their daily life of eating meat, if you will. Okay? Um, look at this. Verse 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market. He says, just go to the market, go to Kroger or wherever you shop, Right? And, and get the meat there, and don't even question whether or not it's been offered to an idol down the street. See, a lot of the, the, the animals that were sacrificed there, some of it was, was um, offered to the gods, if you will, and the rest of it was just taken down to the farmer's market to be sold to everyone else. And so he's saying, while you're down there buying your handmade soaps and all your like organic vegetables, <laughs> you can buy the meat there. 
And don't even question whether or not it's been worshiped to God or to another idol. And why is this? He says, verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He says, I'm telling you, man, you, you have no idea how big God is. Everything on the earth belongs to him. I don't care if they worshiped it or sacrificed it to an idol down the street. It doesn't matter. If you're a Christian, you give thanks to God for it. You can buy that meat. You can throw salt and pepper on it, which is the only way to season the steak, just so you know, and throw it on the grill and eat it. Don't even think about it. That's a hypothetical question. So you have the liberty to do anything you want in regards to the meat there. But a second hypothetical comes up here, verse 27. Now, what if an unbeliever Right? What if someone who's not a Christian, what if someone down the street, a coworker, or a friend, or whatever, invites you over to dinner, and you want to go, then just eat whatever is set before them, before you, without raising any questions. So here's a couple things I just want to point out in this. I get so jazzed when I see stuff like this. See, in this culture, with many different religions, oftentimes those religions, religions, in particular even the Jewish faith, they were required to stay away from unbelievers for fear that they would become unclean. Has anybody ever heard this? Like if you rub elbows with those sinful people, it won't be long before you're sinful as well. And Paul is saying, listen, brother, if, a, if an unbeliever invites you to dinner and you want to go, it's up to you, go. Go. Go be with them. Now, this strikes at the heart of what motivates me in everything in my life. Um, when I was 26 years old, I, sa- I said already, I got saved. God saved me. It's beautiful. But I left all of my old friends behind, right, as I started my new journey of faith with Jesus, because many of them were still drinking and drugging and doing crazy, right? Who thought that was the right thing for me to do? Everybody nod your head. Yes, that's the right thing for me to do. I needed to mature and to grow up. But after a while, I missed my friends, hear me. I loved them. I was desperate to go back and be with them. And I have the answer to their life's problems. His name is what? Jesus. And I'm thinking they're never going to find him at the bottle of a, bottom of a bottle of Evan Williams, right? The answer is not there. If you don't know what Evan Williams is, it's generic Jack Daniels. We call it Dave Ramsey whiskey, just for those... Too far? I don't know where the line is for, with you guys. No? Anyways. I have, what, I have the solution to what ails them. It's Jesus. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm sober. I'm going back to hang out with them. And I tell some of my pastors at my church. I tell some of my friends at my church. And every one of them were like, I don't know if I'd do that, Jeff. I don't know if I'd do that. Now, hang on. Before you try to take my story and make it your story, hear me. This is what God was asking me to do. I'm not saying he's asking you to do this. So do not take what I'm saying and apply it to your life. I do not want phone calls from your spouse or your parents or whatever. Right? I'm over it. God was asking me to go, and yet some of my friends who are Christians were, were really cautioning me not to go. And I had to wrestle with this reality. Is the Spirit of God strong enough inside of me to push back any desire of mine to sin? Yes or no? Is this Holy Spirit strong enough? Was my question. I come to the conclusion 
for sure. I mean, he absolutely is. So I went back and I shared Jesus with them and they thought I was strange and it's fine. <laughs> but I love it. Paul says, dude, if an unbeliever invites you and you want to go, get it. Go take what you have and give it to them. Jesus is so helpful to other people. And when you're there, if they're serving up barbecue, don't even ask, hey, was this, was this sacrifice to Aphrodite? Was this, don't, don't even worry about that. It doesn't matter. Everything of the earth is of God. Just enjoy it, right? Okay. But he says, verse 28, but if someone says to you that that food had been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. Like if someone brings it up to your attention, hey, brother, that was sacrificed to Aphrodite down the street, just push it across the table and don't eat it. It's fine. You don't have to. See, what he's saying is you can use your freedom to eat it or not to eat it to serve someone else instead of yourself right now. And he says, in, in regards to that, just don't eat the food. And it's for that person's conscience. I, I love this. For the when I was in college, I became a, a vegetarian. Don't throw rocks at me, right? I was a vegetarian for a very long time. In fact, I did not start eating meat again until probably three years ago. And um, I haven't stopped since, just throwing it out there. <laughs> I promise you this is true. I eat a pound of bacon a day. It's ridiculous. Like I eat so much bacon. It's, I, I buy more bacon than any one person should. I love it. I can't believe I didn't eat it for 25 years. It's insane. But I remember going to uh, cookouts, potlucks, and eating some pasta salad or some baked beans. And I'm always like asking questions. Hey, is there beans? Are, do these beans, do they have bacon fat in them? Do they? Hey, what about this pasta salad? Those red flakes, is that bacon bits or what is that? And I was just that guy that no one likes, right? <laughs> what Paul is saying, go enjoy the food. Don't worry about what's in it. But if someone brings it to your attention, then just stop eating it for their sake. You see, because there are people out there who are watching your behavior, wondering how you're going to respond as a Christian in all kinds of situations. They're wondering, hey, brother, that's been, that's been sacrificed to an idol. What are you going to do with that now? And he's like, for their sake, just push it across the table. Now, the applications for this in our lives are going to be different based on all of your different circumstances. So I can't, I can't lay out for you a blanket response on how we're supposed to respond to all of these things. Just know this. If everything in your life isn't pointing to God's glory and for the benefit of other people, you might be doing it for yourself, and I just stopped doing it right then. If you want to know the answers to life questions, I'm telling you, that's it. That's that little measuring tool. Is it for God's glory? Is it for the, the benefit of other people unto salvation? If not, then I wouldn't do it anymore. That's just it. That stung a little more than I thought it was going to. <laughs> And that's okay. Can I also say this? That, that God, in his great care and love for all of us, he knows the places we're at in our life. He, he knows the weight that you can carry or you can carry. And he'll, he'll give you enough to, to challenge you and move you forward. He's, he's never going to be heavy-handed in some of this stuff. Do you know that to be true? Oh, I want you to know that to be true. If you feel like God's yelling at you, like, like, stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this. He, he, if he's yelling at you, it's because you've just closed your ears to him. Because he's already whispered it to you once and twice and three times. And he keeps coming back to you, stop, stop, stop. And now he's yelling at you because you're the moron. He's not listening. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. 
I only have 40 minutes left, so let me get through this. I want to skip down to 31 here. And this is that verse. He says, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, he's talking about this meat sacrifice to idols. Whatever it is, do everything you do to the glory of God. Try not to be an offense to Jewish people or to Greek people or to the church of God, the people that are Christians. He says, I try to please everyone in everything that I do, and I don't seek my own advantage, but the advantage of many unto salvation. This is his motivation, not to become friends with them. I mean, I, he wants friends for sure, but there's a, there's a motive behind all this, that they would come to salvation in Jesus, in all things. In verse 33, it says, I try to please everyone. I'm a people pleaser by nature. Anybody? It's sin for me. I don't know about you. It's terrible. Like, I'll, I'll lie to make people happy. Isn't that stupid? That's what I do. I remember reading an introduction to a book one time about idols, idols. And in the introduction, the guy said something about the sin of people pleasing. I hit my knees and repented. That's what I do. I want everyone to think I'm funny and smart and blah, 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 blah. And Paul says, I want to please everyone, but not just so that they like me, that they might come to know Jesus. That's a whole different motivation. And he ends here, his conclusion in all of this, starting in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, is right here, chapter 11, verse 1. And you can imitate me as I imitate Christ. So if you want to you know how to make decisions in your life, look to my life and make the decisions I've made. Because I'm following Jesus, and I'm doing great at it, so just follow me as I do that. And I went, oh my gosh, that's so bold of Paul to say. I don't know if I could say that. I want to. I want to. Like, if you don't know where to go and you're confused in all the Bible and theology and the blah, blah, blahs, I just like, dude, just do what I do. How cool would that be? How great would that be for others to see an example of Christ Jesus right before them so that they could follow? I love that Paul uses Christ as the example. He is the pinnacle of everything that he's trying to do. Jesus had no requirement to leave heaven to come here and save us. He did so out of love for us. He did so to serve us. And if that's the example that Christ is giving us, then why don't we give up everything to serve others? Maybe... maybe not give up everything. Let's just start with one thing. What, what are you willing to give up for the sake of other people? I think when I, um, when I get an opportunity to marry couples, I get to officiate weddings a lot. <laughs> and I love it. It's so great. But it's probably not a wedding that I officiate that I don't mention something like this. The opposite of love is not hate. Did you know that? The opposite of love is selfishness. See, Adam and Eve had an opportunity to, to show God their love for him in the garden by just obeying one thing. And they went for the only thing that was off limits to them. 
in a, in a grab at self-centeredness and self-motivation and selfishness. They went for the only thing God said no to, telling God, I don't love you. See, the opposite of love is not hate, it's selfishness. And if Jesus has, has come to us and says, listen, the greatest commandment is to love God with everything and to love others, you cannot do that and be selfish. I'm sorry. My daughter is two and a half years old. She's sitting in her high chair and she's eating her chicken nuggets because that's what kids eat. <laughs> and while she's eating chicken nuggets, daddy was having chicken nuggets, right? That's how this works. We're all eating chicken nuggets. Um, she finished her plate and then reached to my plate to grab a chicken nugget off my plate. <laughs> I mean, gently, gently, I took my fork and stabbed her in the hand. <laughs> I, I swear to you, this is true. I can't make this stuff up. And I said, no, no, that's daddy's. I promise. My wife about smacked me upside down. I mean, it's such a silly example, but man, I, I play that over in my mind. If I loved her, if I really, really loved her, and I do, like, what limits does my love have? I mean, obviously at lunch at Chicken Nuggets is the limit. Uh, marriage oftentimes is the greatest tool that God uses to remind you how selfish you are. And, w and when you figure that out, then if you know, God would bless you with children, you have to run through that loop one more time. <laughs> you think you're selfish until you have... I mean, it's just crazy. And I'm telling you, the community that God has placed us in in the church is a wonderful opportunity for us to see how selfish we are how unwilling we are to spend time with others, how unwilling we are to in invest in their life, how unwilling we are to serve the church. I mean, I, I don't mean to make it about this, but have you heard in the announcement video for the past two or three weeks, we need help in the kids area? Have you heard it? Like, I just don't come up here and cattle call, move, if anybody can, if you've got a pulse, we'll put you in the kids department. All I'm asking is people would just sort of mature into that and go, man, I want to serve. Okay, I'm not making this about that. I'm just saying, what's the church look like when we begin to look at the needs of other people first and foremost? That's all I'm saying. I think um, Paul would say the same thing. I know Jesus has said the same thing. So I, I believe, I'm gonna close in prayer here. I believe that God is going to use passages like this to bristle us and to encourage us to grow us and to mature us into the people he wants us to be. Because he's not finished with you. He's not finished with me. I'm telling you. Um, I'll go first. I'll go first. God, I confess I'm selfish. I want my way all the time. And there, there are times I, I choose my way over somebody else. All the time. And so, God, I don't want to do that anymore. Let's pray together. God, maybe there's more than just me in the room who says this, that somehow we've, 
twisted the gospel to mean something that it doesn't mean. That it's about us. So God, we just come before you um, not embarrassed or ashamed, but just with open eyes realizing that we, we do this. And so we confess to you. The Bible says that if we confess that you are faithful and just to forgive us, Jesus' death on the cross has already dealt with the, the issue of that sin. And so we just come before you repenting, saying we see it now. We don't want to be that way anymore. You forgive us. And now we're asking for the strength to change our life, to change, to look different, to, to model our lives after Christ Jesus, to be people who think of your glory first, to think of others first. God, we don't need to be right. So much we're fighting for our rights these days and unwilling to surrender anything. There are battles that need to be fought, God, but we don't fight them, you do. We just experience the reward of being faithful to you. There's slanderous words we need to respond to, but we don't have to because you will do that on our behalf. That you are the great judge, that there's no reason for us to stand on a hill to defend anything. You'll defend everything, God. And so with that truth and realization, God, would you, would you direct our lives to just, to just be faithful to you, to consider your thoughts before we act in any way, to consider the thoughts of others before we act in any way, God. If you could make us servants like Jesus, then the gospel message will come in our wake and it will begin to transform the world around us. God, if you give us eyes to see the needs of others and then give us the strength to meet those needs, then all of the needs in the world will be met, Lord. This is, this is real, God. This is your kingdom, the kingdom of God, established by your son, Jesus. We're not waiting to go to heaven to experience you, God. We're, we're wanting to experience you here. And so we want to be a part of what you're doing. So change us. Grow us up, Lord. God, we thank you for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We're so excited to see the things that God is doing in our community. And if you're looking for a way to get involved in that, then please go to rendicator.org and make a commitment to being a part of showing the people of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.